this time of desperation All we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe broken generation When all is dark you help us see There is only one salvation We believe We believe We believe Back 
coming to our time with God's Word this morning. I was thinking about this last week. Uh, the gathering group has been going through the Alpha Course material, and it's just basic foundational stuff. And uh, Wednesday night, we were talking about how and why we should read the Bible, read God's Word. And uh, one of the examples that was given of just the way God speaks to us through his word uh, was through an experience where uh, the speaker, Nikki Gumbel, uh, had heard, uh, was wrestling with uh, his father's salvation. He was not sure if his dad had, had turned to Jesus. And uh, in the context of that wrestling and praying, his wife uh, came to him and said, I think I've got a word from God for you. And it is uh, Acts 4.12. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And your dad called on the name of the Lord. And, and he, he's been saved. And, uh, and Nicky Gumbel happened to be going through his own devotional life. And he came on the other place in Scripture where those words uh, are spoken. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, uh, and he's like, wow, okay, I, I really, you know, I'm getting a sense that my dad's safe and secure in heaven. Well, then he was driving on a, a he had a ministry trip he was taking, and he's driving on the freeway, and he looks at this billboard sign, and it says, all who call on the name will be, of the Lord will be saved. And he shared that experience with the friend, and, and the friend said, do you think the Lord is speaking to you? Uh, similarly, I uh, just was in that place of weariness that all the, the evil just seems so strong in, in our wor- world that just, you know, I felt the weariness and the tiredness of just needing a rest of soul. And, uh, and I was praying about that. And, um, and I happened to be one day behind in our Matthew, reading of Matthew's gospel during Lent. And so I happened to come to, to Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Uh, in, in this invitation, all who you are weary or heavy laden, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your soul. And I heard God's word to me, and I rested in the reality that when I accept his invitation, when I hear his word and respond and come to him, uh, he will give me not just physical rest, which I need just like you, but that deep soul rest that my, my soul was thirsting for. As we have learned through this series in Hebrews, God's word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It speaks to us. It, it gets inside of us. It does its work in us when we allow it to, to transform us and change us really from the inside out. And it, and it causes us to, to be available and open to God's word in a different way than we were previous because we're expecting it. We're excited about it. Some might come to God's word and say, oh no, list of rules. I haven't cut it this week and I'm just going to feel judgment. I'm going to feel distance from God. Instead of that invitation of acceptance and, and availability to God and, and an openness to allow him to be shaping us and changing us. And that's what we long for and need each time we encounter God's word together. And so we do that today. And last week I told you this is probably one of the most important messages I have to preach, you know, to encourage one another and and to continue meeting together and all the more as you see the day approaching. And this morning I have one of the hardest messages to preach because we don't like thinking about God's judgment. But the reality of it is in Scripture and we need to wrestle with it. And think about its implications for the way we live now, as well as our eternal destiny with him. 
So Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31, and I'm going to invite you to uh, get the insert out of your bulletin because today there's some fill in the blanks and a way to kind of follow along and participate uh, that's a little different from normal. And so uh, Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, and if you have that sheet or you can follow along on the screen, the word of God says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people." It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God, we pray that you would give us understanding of your word today. Help us to receive what you want to teach us through it, that we would be transformed and changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The central point of this message today is that Jesus is coming back again. In the last line of the We Believe song written by the newsboys, I believe, is that we believe that he is coming back again. It comes in the context in Hebrews of several chapters that have lyrically been describing how the high priestly ministry of Jesus cleanses us from our sin and brings us free and forgiven into the joyful presence of God. We've had this good news that Jesus has done everything necessary for our salvation. But now, in this part of Hebrews, it's almost like there's storm clouds on the horizon and lightning bolts of judgment begin to flash and you're like, wow, how do I understand what we've been reading in light of how the writer speaks now? Well, clearly, we must understand it in its context, right? As we need to understand all passages of Scripture. And here, what we can say in background or in relief is that one of our fundamental beliefs in the Christian faith is that Jesus is coming back again. In heaven now, the earth awaits the return of her creator who will come and basically bring a new heaven and a new earth and this space and place that we will dwell with God for all eternity, that all who trust in him will will know that safety and that security and that divine embrace. Unfortunately, what we saw last week in verse 25 of Hebrews 10 is that some believers were giving up meeting together. We have no way of knowing who these people were exactly other than the fact that the early church had the same problem as the present church where people were staying away from church when they most needed that interconnection. It was a dangerous place for believers in the early church to to separate themselves from fellowship just as it is today if we try to live without the support and encouragement of fellow followers of Jesus. But it seems that some people saw Christianity and the teachings of Jesus as something to maybe visit, or it's like, oh, that's, he's got some good things to say, but they had not allowed it to lay hold fully of who they were. They had not allowed it become central in their priority of, of seeking after God and following after God and learning to live in light of the truths that were being taught. 
So the writer goes on to suggest there in verse 25 that Christians ought to exhort and encourage one another. We all need encouragement each and every day. And all the more, he says, as we see the day getting near. And most certainly, the day that is spoken of here is the day of judgment, when Christ is going to return and set all things right. And the main thing in the meantime is that we need accountability and support as we anticipate his return. We are not meant to live alone. And so the heart of the matter here is this. Those who have been called into faith and to fellowship with the loving God await Christ's return and in the meantime are meant to live in light of the truths that we've been taught. But sadly, what we now are told is that there were some who rejected Christ's truth. It's like they, they had heard it. There, there maybe even had been an initial like embrace or inclination towards follow it, following it. But then there had been a turn away from it and a distancing from Christ and his presence and his truth. A, a desire to, to willfully turn away from the Lord. And what we find here is as a result, there was a fearful prospect of judgment. In other words, the long we, long as we live or longer we live apart from Christ and relationship with Him and putting into practice in His teachings, His teachings, the more we worry and concern and have fear about the judgment that is to come. And we hear these scriptures quoted here that the Lord will judge His people. And there's a clear reality that God is a God of judgment and will ultimately come to judge the living and the dead. So what do we see here? We see people pursuing the wrong way. And I think I've got a visual of just driving the wrong way. You see those signs, do not enter, don't go there, you're going the wrong direction. If you turn this way, you're, you're, this is an on-ramp and you think you're treating as an off-ramp. Well, it's people that are turning away from the teachings of God. And if, and if it's a fearful thing to fall into the arms of the living God, it's like God's reaching out to, in a loving embrace, like we sing about, but people are turning away from it and running from it, fleeing from it, because they're, they're not sure if it's safe, if God is safe. And in one sense, God isn't safe, but he is loving and he's caring, and he wants to embrace us. And the only reason that it would be a fearful thing, dreadful thing, to fall into the hands of the living God is if you don't want to be there, and if you've rejected it as an embrace, and you're seeing it as judgment and a rejection back of of you. The wrong way is living in light of just our own will and our own way, to become so self-determined, so to speak, that you don't think you need the loving God and his plan and purpose for your life. And what we find is God is a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment who is opposed to all that is evil. And those who persist in wrong face judgment from God. The writer has outlined the response for which he's looking in his correspondence. We're meant to anticipate Christ's return and stay connected in fellowship. These single services, you know, the last Sunday of the month, they're so important because we have that wider sense of the church. We have the wider sense of encouragement, of more voices singing, of more interconnected generations. And this is just a rich time of fellowship and encouragement. And now our present rhythm is almost like, hey, let's stay connected in our services and all, but once a month, let's get back together. And it's almost like that football team that that comes back together and huddles together and then decides, okay, now we're going to move forward this way. Here's Here's the play. Here's the plan. Okay, let's go live it out. But we desperately need this kind of time. 
And what we find here is there are catastrophic consequences in reacting the wrong way, going the wrong way, in relationship to what Christ has done. Judgment is real, and it is serious. And if people reject the love of God, they're left to face the judgment of God alone because that is our only source of salvation, what he has done. Unfortunately, there were those that could be referred to as apostates, kind of an older word, but people who had had renounced or rejected the teachings of Christ and and turned away from the beliefs that, that, that they would be formed upon. And unfortunately, what happens there, if, if there are those in the church that have, have re- rejected or turned away from those truths, they, they don't look like Jesus. They don't, they're not being transformed by Jesus into the kind of people that help other people see Jesus through them. And we've heard this a lot more in recent years, where you know, people may be open to Jesus, but they, 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 they sense that the, a, a failure for followers of Jesus to become more like him. We don't, we don't smell like Jesus all the time. And sometimes there's infighting within churches, and, 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 and people are wondering if there's truth there that is being lived out, and they're not seeing evidence of it on the part of believers. And this is where we need to turn to God, turn away from sin, And live into the truths we've been given because he is coming back again. One of our EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, Essentials of Faith is this. Essential 6 says, Jesus Christ will come again to the earth personally, visibly, and bodily to judge the living and the dead and to consummate history and the eternal plan of God. Even so, come Lord Jesus so one way we could look at this is this, is are you excited about the fact that Jesus is going to return? <laughs> you, you may have relatives that want to come to visit your home, and you, you're not as excited about their coming. <laughs> they may not be easy to get along with, perhaps, uh, you know, and you think, oh, I've got to clean my house or get it ready, but I'm not all that excited about their visit. But then there are those that are like life-giving, and, and it's an energy gain to be around them. And the question is, do you, do you see, are you excited about Christ coming? Or is there some fearful opposition or, or just uh, apathy towards his return? Well, what we need to do to get excited about his return is to understand the nature of judgment and his judgment. And the first point here, and this is in your outline, is that God's judgment is related to deliberate sin. Okay, God's judgment is related to deliberate sin. Okay, and the first sub point there is if we sin, and let me couch this, if we sin, turn away from him deliberate way, there's no sacrifices for sins left. Okay, that's the first sub point. There's no sacrifices for sins left. What is meant by this is this. We're not talking about the occasional way we're turned away from God. This isn't, this isn't about just, you know, a, 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 a one-time turn away or whatever. This is about deliberate rejection and rebellion against the truth of Jesus. So it's saying, I don't want you, and I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. Okay? And so what we're seeing here is in this reflection of God's judgment is its nature, its nature is related to that sort of rebellion against God, where we're just saying that we're opposed to his teachings. John Calvin talks about this when he says that in this passage, we are not dealing with either the weak backslider or the penitent offender, somebody who repents. The apostle describes as sinners, not those who fall in any kind of way, but those who forsake the church and separate themselves from Christ. There is a great difference, he says, 
between individual lapses and a universal desertion of this kind. He says that there is no offering left for those who reject the death of Christ because such rejection does not come from particular offense, but from a total rejection of faith. So what we're talking about here is the type of response and rebellion and sin where we're just pushing God away. So it's not that we're trying to, this person described here is trying to live for Jesus and occasionally fails and falls short as we all will. All the sin and falls short of the glory of God. What is being judged here is a deliberate sin where it's just an opposition and an outright rebellion against Jesus and his teachings and his truth. So what, what's happening here is there were people that were pushing away the very solution. Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin, right? In his death and resurrection, in his sacrifice. But if we reject that sacrifice, what we're then told secondly is we're only in a place of fearful expectation of judgment. We don't have a sacrifice left. There's no sacrifice left, the first sub-point. There's only fearful expectation of judgment. In other words, if you take the answer away, if you take the solution away from our sin, what are you left with? You're left with fear and anxiety. There's no hope. There's no sense of help. And when we do that, we start to turn away from faith and we get caught up in fear. And what I like about the writer of Hebrews here is he, he uses we. He says, you know, we get in, can be in this place. And, and, and in, the, in the use of we, he's adopting a position not of superiority like, hey, you're in trouble if you turn away from Jesus. He's basically saying, you know, all of us have this potential and we all need to be vigilant in following after Jesus. Otherwise, the third subpoint, what awaits those is raging fire which will consume the enemies of God. You don't want to go there. God is a consuming fire. He, he wants relationship with us. He, he, he wants to you know, consume everything that would impede relationship with him. There is truth presented to us through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But if we turn away from that way and take our own way, if we turn away from that truth and think we know better than he does, there's no sacrifice for sins left. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. He is the solution. He is the only way to God. If we think we can make it ourselves in our own way, we're fooling ourselves because we'll all fall short. And what we find here is that that God wants to overcome and ultimately defeat that willful resistance to him. Okay? And, 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 you know, I'm just going to say, you know, my kids are starting to get older now. Levi's turning 10. Uh, I've been, we've been here almost 10 years. I don't have this as, as, as much as I used to when they were young. But, you know, that part where these young kids are just starting to, to cruise and everything. And we're starting to see their personality develop. And, and a lot of people just think, oh, these young children, they're just so good. And they're just, you know, so, they're just so cute and so pure. No, they're not. They're demanding. And it's like banging on stuff. You know, I need food. And they're selfish. And my, you know, I was looking back at these baby pictures of Levi. He loved to terrorize our cat and our dog at the time. I mean, our cat Mattingly, you know, Mike, named after the baseball player, Don Mattingly. That cat just, I mean, Levi never left him alone. He just would love to be off doing his own thing. And Levi would just cruise around. <laughs> I'm here to terrorize you. We are by nature sinful and selfish. 
That is our, our sinful, fallen nature because of the, the fall. And unless we have the intervention of our loving God who, who changes us and reprioritizes us from the inside out, we do not have hope. And that rebellion that we have as young children, ultimately we can become more and more rebellious and rejecting of God. And in C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, he talks about how there are people that grumble and complain about God and about things in this, on this earth. And as a result, ultimately in hell, they become a grumble. It's not just that they grumble and complain anymore. They like turn, shrivel up almost like a, a raisin, a dried grape, and they just grumble and complain so much and they distance themselves. And in C.S. Lewis's kind of sense of what hell is like, there are people that are further and further distancing themselves. And there's people that are just so off because they just don't want to be around anybody. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing during our COVID-impacted world is people becoming grumbles. Not just that they grumble and complain, but they're increasingly opposed to good and they're increasingly isolating themselves from society and, and, and they just don't see any hope. And we don't want those people to face the judgment of God and their deliberate rejection of God and deliberate sin. We want them to know that there is good news and there's this great invitation that God wants them to experience. Sadly, what we see is a rejection of that invitation largely. Picture this, uh, you know, you, you've sent an invitation to somebody uh, by mail. You want them to come to a party. You've taken time, right out, hey, party's this time, we want you to come. But unfortunately, they either ignore the invitation or outrightly reject it. You really want that person to be at the party. So you not only send that invitation, you actually go to their house, knock, hey, I'm having a party, I want you to come in person. But there's still rejection. They close the door, they ignore the invitation, or they outright reject it. Now you know how God the Father feels. He sent an invitation through the prophets. I want you to come to the party. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I I want to embrace you for all eternity. He sent that message again and again and again through the prophets of the Old Testament, right? That's the written invitation, the word of God, and the spoken invitation. But then he comes in the person of his son and literally knocks on the door. Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and he opens the door and welcomes me in. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. God has sent a personal invitation in the coming of his son. But if we reject that invitation, there's no other hope, there's no other source of life. If that atoning sacrifice of Jesus becomes something we turn away from, then we're left with only judgment. So how do we see ourselves in this? I want, I want to just kind of recognize that we all struggle with the reality of sin. And you may read this and say, deliberate sin, hey, sometimes I deliberately turn away from Christ. Well, well, well what I want to see and want, what I want you to kind of understand is if you are struggling with sin, the very nature of that struggle tells you you, you are not the person being described here, Okay. What Paul says in Romans 7 uh, is that, you know, why do I do what I don't want to do? I mean, Paul reflects the struggle against sin. If you're struggling against sin, what we find then is you have the Holy Spirit. That's The Holy Spirit's the one that causes you to struggle and wrestle and want to grow and become more like Jesus. But you fall at times and you fail. And that's where we all are. What's, what's, what's spoken of here is, is those that deliberately sin and just stake their own claim. And there's no struggle. They're just going their own way. 
Okay, so if you're struggling with sin like I do and like every like everyone does in a way, what we can say is you are in that place in that struggle where hopefully you turn back to God in repentance and you receive his forgiveness. Okay, where we don't want to be is point number two, and I'm going to have to move along faster just with the shortness of time in these last two. But second point, big point is God's judgment is related to what Jesus has done. First sub point there is if we reject Jesus, what it says is we trample the Son of God underfoot. It's like Jesus has sacrificed himself. He's come for us, but it's like we're stepping on him and, we're, and it's almost like we're trying to stomp him out, like you're trying to put out a fire. Okay? Instead of allowing that to be a source of life, Jesus has sacrificed, there's a sense of trampling it underfoot. It's not worth, you know, you don't see it as worth of him of, as of worth and value. You're stepping on it instead of open, picking it up and welcoming him, okay? And Jesus' sacrifice for you is not something to be trampled on. It's of amazing worth and value. The one and only Son of God, the creator of the universe, came and he lived and he died for you. He, he, he paid it, the price for your salvation at great cost. Don't trample on that, the gift of life in him. Receive it. Welcome it. Because unfortunately, if we don't uh, welcome that, what it says is that the people treated an unholy thing, uh, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. In other words, what what we find here is you're treating what is sacred, the blood of Jesus spilled and shed for you, as of no significance. And we're talking about the blood of the one and only Son of God, fully God, took on flesh, took on human form and flesh, and, and shed that blood for you sacrifice that blood for you we're not meant to treat that as unholy we're treated to treat it holy it is our source of life the lord the giver of life jesus came and shed his blood for you we've been talking about this for weeks on end don't reject that don't treat it as unholy treat that as sacred it is the most amazing gift and the most amazing sacrifice ever made and we're to treat it as holy Otherwise, what we end up doing is insulting the spirit of grace. And that's the third point. In other words, we're not only rejecting God's love, okay, we're not only rejecting Christ's sacrifice, the Holy Spirit, which imparts and, and is the initiator and, the, and the, the, uh, the kind of sign and significance of God's grace, we, we end up rejecting the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't want you inside of me. Instead of, I want you. I want you to come into my heart. Come into my home and make all things new. Rearrange things in here because it's not looking real good apart from you. No, I, I don't want you to just come into my home, the home of my heart. I want you to come in and I want you to be a, a designer. I want you to be the decorator. Uh, I stink at this. If you go into my office, it's very utilitarian. I've got my stuff. I've got a few pictures and paintings, whatever. And Beth walks in there and like, when are you going to do something about this? Can we like kind of beautify this a little bit? And then if you come into my home, you'll see Beth's there. And our our house is not a house, it's a home. Because she's made it that way. And what God wants is not just you to have a house. He wants to come in and be at home in you. Okay? So God's judgment is related to deliberate sin when we push him away. God's judgment is related to what Christ has done. We need to value and celebrate and honor what Jesus has done for us in anticipation that he is coming back again. And we don't want to discount what he's done in his first coming, all right? Or else the second coming of Christ is something we should fear. Thirdly, last point is God's judgment is related to who God is. 
God is the only one who has the right to judge. Three subpoints there. It says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In other words, God is one who, who is a God who, you know, he, he, he is ven- has vengeance against sin and against death. He wants to defeat death. He wants to defeat sin, and he's going to, okay? And it is his to avenge, his to repay, not ours. So instead of our seeking vengeance, we can let go of it. I don't need to get revenge against this person who's hurt me. I need to step back and allow that God will do that. He's the one who created them. He's the one doing a work in their life. And I can trust in what God is doing in that person's life. And I can let go and allow him to work on me. Okay? The second sub point is the Lord will judge his people. Okay? The Lord is judge. And he will ultimately come to judge the living and the dead. And we should anticipate that and respond accordingly. And the response is not to run away or reject. The response is to trust that his arms are, are ultimately arms of love. It's only in rejection that it becomes a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, as is talked about there. So what can we celebrate? C.S. Lewis in his Narnia says, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. God is going to come back. Jesus is coming back again. He's going to set all things right. And man, doesn't this world need to be set right? And he's a reset. Big reset button. <laughs> okay? And God is ultimately going to bring that reset when Jesus comes back again. And all things are going to be made right. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And Revelation is beautiful in its description that there's going to be no more death, no more disability, no more crying, tears, pain, no more goodbyes. There's going to be this wonderful eternal embrace. As we talked about last week, Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's coming back again to bring us where he is so that we will enter into that eternal embrace and eternal home. We can be excited about this. Secondly, though, we should be warning other people about that reality. He is coming back, and if you reject the gift that he's given, then then we should have fear and worry concern. If we embrace that gift, then we don't have anything to worry about. For us individually, three points of application. One, turn away from sin. There's no life there. If we're choosing our own way and we're persisting in sin, reject it, get help, support, accountability to turn away from it and turn towards God. Secondly, in application, celebrate what Jesus has done. He's given you an amazing gift and his sacrifice for you. He wants to give you life and life abundant, eternal, and full. Don't reject that gift. Embrace it. Accept it. And thirdly, finally, infirm God's right to judge and turn to him. You're not the judge of other people. God hasn't given you that job or role. So get off the throne of judgment and trust that Jesus is there and that he's trustworthy. And we can trust his, his embrace of us and the life that he wants to give us. And we can trust uh, his eternal judgment on all people. He's the one who created them. He knows their eternal destiny. He created them that way. And he knows how each person responds. And he is ready and waiting for them. To trust that God's coming again can be a good and wonderful gift. For those who place their faith in God's work of salvation, we don't have anything to fear. The only thing is to fear is if you're rejecting that gift. And our job in the present is to celebrate that gift of mercy and grace and go and tell other people about it so that they know and they can hear that there is good news, 
that there is a problem of sin, but there is the answer and solution in Jesus. And so what awaits us is based on how we respond. And there's an opportunity now to turn back to the living God and receive and welcome his eternal embrace. Amen? Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and 